0: you all for joining us tonight. We are honored to have Dr. Ernie Schaefer, the Chief Medical Officer and Laboratory Director at Boston Heart Diagnostics. Um, talk to us tonight about LipidSeq, a new offering at Boston Heart. Ernie? Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, as we were talking about aging, at some, at some point, it's almost a pleasure to be anywhere. But anyway, uh, we're lucky to have our, our consultant for the Lipid Seq. Um, Sequencing, uh, which is Dr. Hegley, uh, who is uh, really a world's expert in this area, and in fact, coined the term for lipid seek in, in a very important paper published in 2014 in the Journal of Lipid Research. And he coined the term lipid seek and has allowed us to use the name. Next slide, please. So, uh, this the clinical utility here is to provide. Uh, to take patients that have abnormal lipid values, and I will define those, but um, because these patients can develop premature cardiovascular disease, pancreatitis, neurological disease, kidney disease, or liver failure, unless diagnosed and treated. And genetic testing does provide healthcare providers, provides the healthcare provider and the patient with a definitive diagnosis, allowing for optimal treatment. Next slide. So this is targeted next generation DNA sequencing of 23 genes that have been linked to disorders associated with abnormalities in lipid metabolism based on seven designated abnormal lipid values. And we send the provider a letter notifying them about these abnormalities, and then they can decide whether to order the genetic testing Using a medical necessity form. Uh, Ideally, uh, the healthcare provider would also use us for advanced testing. In other words, they they don't have to be, these abnormalities don't have to be picked up by us. They can be picked up by other labs. It does require an informed consent signed by the patient and filed in the provider's office. We use saliva shipped to Boston Heart. We provide the the provider, of course, with a with a kit and the test results after it's run are sent to the healthcare provider. The provider reviews the results with patients and can refer patients for genetic counseling if required or requested by the patient through MEDIS genetics. And we do bill this through insurance. If I could have the next slide. So obviously we start with abnormal lipid concentrations and we do, we recommend a pretest clinical assessment, ruling out secondary and ruling out secondary causes. Next slide. So what are the criteria we use? We use uh, having an LDL, a fasting LDL over 190 uh, or having a beta-cetosterol level of over 10 or a cholesterol level, which we only report to providers if it's abnormal, of over 15. And you'll notice the units are in milligrams per liter, not in milligrams per deciliter like cholesterol, because the concentrations of of these other sterols are so much lower uh, than cholesterol is. Um, Hypertriglyceridemia, over 500. Uh, HDL below 25 in men and below 30 in women, and having heart disease, premature heart disease, and very high HDL. Most of the time, high HDL is associated with benefit, but there are rare cases where a high HDL can be associated with increased risk if there have defects in, say, the uptake of cholesterol from HDL. And we've also come to learn that high HDL, uh, along with heavy alcohol intake, can also be a major problem. And then, of course, we have hypocholesterolemia. We've now used less than 10 because there are lots of patients now that have LDL cholesterols that are very low because they're on PCSK9 inhibitors. Uh, Next slide. So obviously we want to get a medical history, Uh, we want to find out about other risk factors, about alcohol intake, which is a secondary cause of high triglycerides, about the past use of medications, obviously we focus on uh, standard physical examination. We look for uh, the bruise and xanthomas and Arcus and corneal opacification. It's amazing how much information you can get from some looking at somebody's eyeballs very carefully, uh, looking at the uh, fundus during a doing do a neurological examination, and we recommend a fasting lipid profile ideally with a direct LDL, a small dense LDL, a1b, LP little a, an HDL map, a cholesterol balance test, uh, CBC because some of these abnormalities are associated with. Um, Anemia or other um, hematologic abnormalities, a comprehensive metabolic profile, and ideally CRP and an MPO. And of course, TSH is very important because uh, about 5 to 10% of patients with really high LDL can have hypothyroidism. And finally, um, uh, ideally an NMR lipomap, which really gives you a, a good idea of the full spectrum of lipoproteins. It's probably the only way we can diagnose dysbeta lipoproteinemia for you, It's which is associated with defects in ApoE. Uh, next slide. Um, the other thing to consider with high LDL is, of course, not just diet and hypothyroidism, but also anorexia, believe it or not, diuretics, cyclosporin, glucocorticoids, amiodarone, biliary obstruction, nephrotic syndrome, obesity are among the causes of high LDL. Some of the same things cause high triglycerides and low HDL. Uh, also oral estrogens, protease inhibitors, retinoic acid, um, anabolic steroids. Um, one of the things that we we saw in our study with low HDL was that some of the men that had really low HDLs were taking very high doses of testosterone. Um, and then some of these other uh, secondary causes, um, beta blockers except carvedilol. Some of these other things are, have modest effects, but nevertheless, it's important to rule them out. Next slide. So, LDL over 190, uh, which we see in about 4% of our total population at Boston Heart, we know that a a high LDL, occasionally over 190, can even be due to familial combined hyperlipidemia, but that's rare. Most patients with familial combined hyperlipidemia might have an LDL of 160, 150. Those are families where you see high cholesterol and high triglycerides in the same family. And in our studies and other people's studies, that comprises about 15% of patients with premature heart disease. Classical familial hypercholesterolemia due to various defects in these genes listed, mainly the most common being in the LDL receptor, are found in about 1% of patients with premature heart disease. And beta-cetosterolemia is even rarer. That's in about 0.1% of premature heart disease patients, or about 4, 4% of patients uh, that have an LDL over 190, actually. Um, so if about 4% of our patients have an LDL over 190, about 4% of those, again, will have an elevated cetosterol level. So it's, it's much less common than FH, And then uh, we have run into a few cases, especially in our studies, of lysosomal acid lipase deficiency, which causes liver failure, and I'll talk about that, and very occasionally autosomal recessive hypercholesterolemia uh, due to an LDL receptor adapter protein defect, which also affects LDL uh, uptake by the cell. So um, these things uh, are, treated quite, some of them are treated quite differently. Familial combined hyperlipidemia, those patients are very responsive to weight loss and diet and statin therapy. But If I could have the next slide, I'll cover each one of these very briefly. So for classical FH originally described by a number of investigators and For this disease, uh, Brown and Goldstein at the University of Texas Southwestern won the Nobel Prize for finding that these patients have a defect in the LDL receptor and for sequencing that, uh, for for isolating and sequencing that gene. Um, That's the most common uh, problem with these patients, but occasionally they will have defects in other genes. Uh, The gene, the protein that binds to the LDL receptor, ApoB. Or a PCSK9, that's an enzyme that breaks down the LDL receptor, um, and uh, and some other gene, two other genes as well. These patients may have clinical deposits in their tendons and corneas. They're at very high risk of developing heart disease before the age of 45. Um, the treatment, if they have it, lifestyle change alone usually doesn't do the job. You need statins, acetamide. I have patients on PCSK9 inhibitors, and now we have another drug, inclerosins, which affects also PCSK9, but it targets it instead of um, inhibiting it with antibodies, it actually uh, inhibits the mRNA of uh, PCSK9. And then we have homozygous or compound heterozygous patients they have ldls over 500. i had seven of these patients many years ago at the nih and in the seven years that i was there uh four out of the seven died all before the age of 20 it was horrendous um we had plasmapheresis then but they were all from out of state it was really hard to get them any kind of therapy and it's a very difficult disease to treat. Uh, Next slide. Uh, So this is one of the children on the upper left with homozygous FH. You can see that these xanthomas are tuberous on top of tendinous xanthomas. And on the right is a heterozygote with tendinous Lower left is arcus. But when you see it in a 40-year-old, it's called Arcus juvenilis. Occasionally, you'll see these xanthelasmas and, of course, at autopsy, the severe coronary artery disease. Next slide. This is a patient who actually uh, subsequently also passed away. He, You could see for one year, he got extensive uh, apheresis, uh, but then he He lived in West Virginia. He decided didn't want to have it anymore, became a teenager, ended up getting a combined heart liver transplant by Tom Starzl after he had moved to the University of Pittsburgh from Colorado, but subsequently died of of his heart disease at the age of 19. it was horrendous. This kid had an LDL. It was over a thousand and it was really hard to treat him. But you could see that over one year when he was pretty religious about getting his um, phoresis therapy, you could see the regression in his anthomas from top to the bottom panels. Uh, Next slide. This, of course, is the horrendous coronary disease. And of course, when the coronaries occlude, you get death of tissue post the occlusion. Uh, Next slide. Um, So, lysosomal acid lipase deficiency is another cause of really high LDL. It's extremely rare, and these patients will have significantly elevated liver enzymes, and they have a lack of an enzyme to break down the cholesterol ester in their liver and other tissues due to the lack of lysosomal acid lipase, and... uh, they have defects, they're, they're either homozygous or heterozygous defects in, in, this, in the gene. They have a large liver. Uh, they end up uh, sometimes needing liver transplant. Um, I had one such patient who died. He was a Jehovah's Witness and didn't want to get transplanted. But now we have enzyme replacement from a company actually in uh, Lexington, Mass. It's called Sebolipase. So, the key is to make the diagnosis, um, treat the patients, and you can really only make it um, with sequencing. Uh, we describe one such case with Dr. Kane's group. Uh, next slide. Uh, then we move on to the sterol disorders. There are two that are really of note one is uh, having a beta-cetosterol level of over 10, the other is having a cholesterol level of over 15. Uh, Beta sitosterolemia is due to uh, two genes uh, in the um, ABCG5/G8 complex that that uh, affect cholesterol absorption, uh, and CYP27A1 is is involved. That's the gene or the, that codes for the enzyme that uh, produces bile acids. So especially kinodeoxycholate is not produced if you have a defect. Next slide, I'll tell you about these disorders very briefly. So um, in cytostrolemia, uh, we actually had a case with Dr. Brinton from Utah not so long ago. Uh, this kid was 14, had a beta-cetosterol level of 50. Uh, his LDL was 650. And uh, he actually, on the combination of azetamide diet and statins, his LDL, believe it or not, ended up down at uh, 60. So they can have major league responses. And if you don't figure this out, you'll treat them like they have homozygous FH, but but they don't. They have beta sitosterolemia, and they and they are very responsive, actually, mainly to ezetimibe. Um, and uh, and in in this paper, we actually showed that about four percent of patients with an LDL over 190 um, actually had uh, had evidence of sitosterolemia, uh, at least biochemically. Uh, next slide. So the xanthomas in these patients are actually not very striking. Uh, this is an example of xanthomas in sitosterolemia. Next slide. So then we come to a really bad disease, and uh, this is called CTX, or Cerebro-Tendinous Anthomatosis. And I've had a number of these patients, and we described uh, 43 cases with uh, with the company that makes the uh, treatment for it. With We worked with Dr. Duhl and really Dr. Salen, who made huge contributions uh, to this disease. These people have a fasting cholesterol of over 15, usually without elevations in beta-cetosterol, and they have really, it says I wrote decreased production, but it's really a lack of production of one of the major bile acids, kinodeoxycholic acid. They also don't make a lot of colic acid either. Um, They usually present in childhood with chronic diarrhea, and then later on with learning disabilities. And if you see a 15-year-old kid with premature cataracts, think of this disease. And then if you don't pick it up, if it's not picked up until their 20s, they usually present with neurological disease when they're in their 20s. These are the people, the most horrendous xanthomas you ever want to see are in this disease, and I'll show you pictures. They have tendinous and tuberous xanthomas uh, in the homozygous or compound heterozygous state. The therapy is available through a foundation in uh, St. Louis, but it's kinodeoxycolic acid given 250 milligrams orally three times a day and early diagnosis is critical because you can stabilize the neurological disease but it's very hard to um, to reverse it they may also need a statin later in life uh, to control because their LDL goes up as they get older Uh, next slide These are the kinds of xanthomas. This is one of my patients on the left. She actually had, she's still alive at the age of 74 now. Uh, You can see she had, she wanted to have this xanthoma removed when she was 34. And you can see the surgery, it was done by Dr. Banks who was the Dean of the medical school at the time. He was an orthopedic surgeon. But look at how this thing just grew back. It was horrendous. This is a patient down in Pennsylvania had horrendous xanthomas, had significant neurological disease, had quite a bit of reversal once we diagnosed it based on sequencing. This patient is being followed at Dan Rader's clinic at the University of Pennsylvania. Quite quite striking xanthomas. Excuse me, (laughs) next slide. Um, Now we come to um, high triglycerides, which can be due to um, uh, a defect in the enzyme that breaks down triglyceride, that would be lipoprotein lipase, and some of the proteins that are involved in uh, <clears throat> uh, lipoprotein lipase metabolism. C2 is the protein that activates the enzyme, A5 modulates the activity, this lovely um, GPI-HPB1 is the anchor protein where the enzyme attaches itself. And, of course, ApoE is the protein that's really important for the clearance of triglyceride-rich particles by the liver. So, all of these things can lead to significant hypertriglyceridemia, although the most common cause is the top uh, lipase deficiency. Uh, next slide. So, this is really an inability to break down the triglycerides after they get into the bloodstream, either synthesized onto VLDL from the liver or formed as chylomicrons after fat absorption in the gut. And uh, for many of these diseases, actually, about half of them will have polygenic causes, but the other half will have uh, monogenic disorders in these specific genes. And they are in have a markedly increased risk of recurrent pancreatitis. In the um, Copenhagen heart study, they also had an increased risk of coronary disease, but but the disease that really can affect them especially if their triglycerides are over a thousand, over two thousand, um, then they get they get recurrent pancreatitis. They may have eruptive xanthomas, they may have lipemia retinalis, they may have fatty livers. I had a patient um, who was an engineer, um, and and, and he, his triglycerides were well over 2,000. He had an LPL de- defect. He did great on fenofibrate on, um, and diet, and then he retired to Taos, New Mexico. And he said, "You know, I've never had a problem. I'm not taking your lousy drugs anymore. I'll see you around." I said, "Call me if you get another attack. If you ever get an attack of pancreatitis." The guy was 65 moves to Taos, New Mexico, calls me six months later. I had my first attack. I'm going to go back on phenofibrate. So so prevention does pay off. Fortunately, he did fine. He's done fine. But I like to use uh, micronized phenofibrate, 200 milligrams per day, omega-3 fatty acids. And sometimes once you lower the triglycerides, you may need a statin to optimize the LDL Diabetes control is critical if diabetes is present. It's not always present, uh, but of course, diabetes in and of itself is a cause of high triglycerides. Uh, next slide. Uh, upper left, you can hardly see these things, but this is a, a, a these eruptive xanthomas in a patient with uh, lipoprotein lipase deficiency. This um, person actually, unfortunately, passed away um, in a motorcycle accident, and he had an autopsy at the NIH, and this is what was seen in his liver. And we had gotten pictures of his like he had lipemia retinalis, he had pancreatitis. It's interesting the the uh, the fat gets deposited in the pancreas, and the the it releases enzymes, uh, pancreatic lipase. Literally, the gland eats itself, but the darker cells, the islets, are are, are actually spared to some extent. But the enzyme-producing sp- cells are just get eaten away. It's, it can be a horrendous disease if it's not treated properly. Next slide. Uh, this beta-lipoproteinemia, also known as type three hyperlipoproteinemia. These people may may or may not have triglycerides of over 500, but they're the people that might have a cholesterol of three or four or 500 and triglycerides that are about the same. And they have marked elevations of remnants. Um, and uh, we can pick that up. The best way for us to pick it up is is with the, uh, with the lipomap. We can now measure um, intermediate lipoproteins really well with, the, uh, with NMR. Uh, These patients generally have the E2, E2 genotype, but there are a lot of E2, E2s around that don't have uh, significant uh, dysbeta lipoproteinemia We think that you need to be E2, E2 plus maybe have familial combined hyperlipidemia on top of that. These patients are very responsive to therapy. They may develop Tubo eruptive and palmar xanthomas and premature coronary uh, artery disease. We'd like to get their triglycerides down and their remnants or the VLDL cholesterol to below 30. Obviously, we, we restrict dietary uh, fat and sugar, weight loss if indicated. Phenofibrate works very well, as do omega 3 fatty acids. You do sometimes need statins to optimize LDL. And again, uh, like hypertriglyceridemia diabetes control is critical if it's present and it's often present in these patients there seems to be a triad in the population of high triglycerides uh, increased insulin resistance and sometimes diabetes and gout Uh, uric acid elevations of uric acid are often associated with this condition next slide Um, so this is a patient that i described many years ago who actually was the first patient to have to lack a- ApoE itself uh, this is an african-american person that a- ended up having a, a, a splice site mutation uh, you can see the tubo eruptive xanthomas and then you can see the palmar xanthomas the coronary disease the aortic atherosclerosis and the severe <clears throat> aortic and femoral atherosclerosis you can see the aorta and then the bifurcation and this guy had plaque all the way down. He actually, uh, we, we, we saw him, diagnosed him at the NIH, and then followed him for about two years, and then he had a massive stroke and died. And you could see what his a, aorta looked like. It was, it was uh, really bad. Uh, next slide. So finally, we come to the HDL deficiency states. Uh, these are patients that have severe HDL deficiency. It says here less than 25 or less than 30. Most of these patients have HDL cholesterol less than 10. And there are three categories here, uh, A1 deficiency, Tangier disease, and LCAT deficiency or fisheye disease. And they are quite different in, in the kind of problems that they will have. Next slide. Uh, In A1 deficiency, um, I actually described the first case back in 1981. We subsequently learned that that particular woman died of coronary disease at the age of 42. She was from Alabama. She was seen at the NIH, and then I followed her with Dr. Segrist and others at the University of Alabama, and we worked up her whole family, and we subsequently realized that she had a complete deletion of the entire a1c3a4 gene complex so these patients as i said have a fasting hdl of less than one and if you measure you have to measure their a1 levels they're usually undetectable defects in the a1 gene Um, and then they have planar or tubo eruptive xanthomas they will have mild corneal opacification But to see that you really need to do a slit lamp examination they'll get premature cbd uh, and especially homozygous or compound heterozygous variants so what do we do we don't really have any good way to raise their hdl so the treatment of choice in my book is just to treat all their other risk factors and to get a statin and to optimize their ldl to less than 50. And we reviewed, uh, we did a lot of studies um, that we, we, we assessed over 250,000 people in our population. Uh, and we um, uh, looked at a quite, a, we sequenced about 400 of these patients in this paper here uh, and delineated different disorders of HDL deficiency. Next slide. With Dr. Hegley's help. Uh, This was the case that I described. Uh, This was a case I actually described with Dr. Santos. This guy was a truck driver that had no A1. And we know that xanthomas occur at sites of friction. This guy was a truck driver, so he was sitting on his rear end all the time. And we think that's one of the reasons he developed these horrendous xanthomas. But if you look carefully, he had atypical Arcus. And he actually also had cholesterol deposition in, in, uh, in the creases of his hands and, and his wrist actually, and had uh, cholesterol deposition in macrophages. Next slide. Uh, he's actually still alive in his late forties, uh, and his LDL is really well controlled with statin therapy. Then we have Tangier disease, similar issue. But these patients do make HDL. They may, they have, but they only have pre-beta HDL on the map, on the HDL map. That's because their problem is getting cholesterol out of their cells. The A1 deficient patients can't make the HDL. These patients can't get any cholesterol on their HDL. So they get heart disease. They also can get um, Uh, They get mild corneal opacification, but they have um, a lot of cholesterol deposition in their liver and their spleen. They can get peripheral neuropathy. They can get low-grade anemia. They get premature heart disease. And again, the therapy is to optimize their LDL. Next slide. Uh, And then finally, LCAT deficiency. Uh, There are a couple of varieties of that, but these people... Their problem is they make HDL. Uh, they they can get the cholesterol out of the cells onto HDL, so they they have pre-beta, and then they can they get cholesterol. on, So they'll have alpha four, but they can't they can't make any bigger particles because they can't esterify their cholesterol. They can't add a fatty acid to it. And the problem that they get is they get kidney failure over time. Because these abnormal particles, and these particles in HDL are not only abnormal, they have abnormal LDL particles as well. and it seems to really muck up the uh, the, the kidney the kidneys. And so over time they end up with renal insufficiency, and I, either you treat them with dialysis or 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 transplant, because it takes usually thirty or forty years for them to develop the problem. Uh, obviously, we want to optimize all, any other risk factors for kidney disease like uh, hypertension or diabetes that they may or may not have. So that's LCAT deficiency. So you can see these low HDL states um, present in a lot of different ways. These are the patients, you can see them from across the room because they will have marked corneal opacification and they will have low grade anemia. Next slide. A variant of this disease is uh, where they can only uh, have a defect, believe it or not, in esterifying the cholesterol on HDL. So, they have normal LDL, and they actually get premature heart disease. They don't get kidney disease, which would indicate that it's the lack of cholesterol esterification on LDL that causes the kidney problems. And those patients get premature heart disease, so you need to optimize their LDL. Uh, next slide. So, the upper left here is uh, A1 deficiency, upper right is when you don't get cholesterol out of your cells, you don't really get that Arcus like, you get a diffuse sort of cholesterol opacification. Lower left is what you see in LCAT deficiency. You can really, you don't really need to uh, look very carefully. You, the minute you see a patient like this, you know what they have. And then lower right, of course, is the arcus that you get with familial hypercholesterolemia. Anyway, if we could go to the next slide, we also have finally a disease that um, that's rare, but we have seen it. Uh, Up in Canada, uh, Dr. Breckenridge reported hepatic lipase deficient patients. We've studied some of them with the group up in Canada. These patients actually um, have, uh, they're the one group that will have high HDL, um, but they have premature coronary disease uh, and they have very high alpha one and they have high fasting triglyceride and they have a deficiency in a hepatic lipase which is an enzyme that um, is, is important for breaking down phospholipids. So they can't metabolize their large HDL particles normally. Then there's another group of patients that has a very high HDL and premature heart disease. Those patients have a defect in scavenger receptor B1 deficiency. This gene was originally described by Monte Krieger at MIT. They have very high, uh, large particles, but they, their defect is they can't take the cholesterol off HDL and take it up in the liver. And they do get premature heart disease, but they're extremely rare. And then finally, we have uh, cholesterol ester transfer protein deficiency. They have very high levels of abnormally large HDL particles as well. HDLs of 150, 160. Um, these Patients are; these are usually of Japanese origin, and they have no evidence of excess CVD. So the, there's quite a bit of difference between these three types of diseases. Uh, next slide. Uh, finally, we come to the low LDL states. I mean, really low, less than 10. Um, and these are patients that may need. Uh, Uh, supplementation with fat soluble vitamins and coenzyme q10 they often have low levels of essential fatty acids omega 3s so they may need supplementation with omega-3s but if you look in the literature it only says they really need vitamin e Uh, i'm i I believe they they need more than just vitamin e Um, and there are patients that have very low april b and then there are patients that have no ApoB. And I'll show you what the difference is between them. Next slide. Uh, These are patients that have no ApoB. They have A-beta lipoproteinemia. They also have very low triglycerides, undetectable ApoB. They also have very low levels of all of the fat-soluble vitamins uh, the the hypo betas often get fatty livers because they can't get and I'll explain that you can't get the uh, VLDL and the LDL out of the liver. These patients um, have a totally different problem. They can't uh, get they can't really absorb things very well. They have a defect in microsomal transfer protein. They have anemia, abnormal red cells, fat malabsorption. These patients, you have to be very aggressive with uh, with therapy, especially high-dose vitamin E, to prevent the neurological disease that they get. Uh, Next slide. So the defect in hypo-beta is their defects in ApoB that instead of causing high LDL, they cause very low LDL because they're truncated forms of ApoB, usually An ApoB of molecular weight, normal ApoB has a molecular weight of 550,000. These are people that only have ApoB molecular weight of like 60,000. So they're totally truncated. And A-beta-liprotonemia defect in microsomal triglyceride transfer protein. So they can't export triglyceride out of their liver or their uh, intestine. Next slide. Here you can see in a beta like proteinemia, you get abnormal red cells. Uh, you can see on the upper left and right, you get, you get fat in the intestinal epithelium, and you get atypical retinitis pigmentosa. And so if you have a patient with retinitis pigmentosa, and their LDL is essentially undetectable, this is the disease that they have. And treating them with fat-soluble vitamins is, is very beneficial um next slide so i've covered a lot of ground in a short time and it's very hard to digest all of this stuff but i'm happy to share these slides with you and to provide you with much more material but in our view about 10 percent of the patients uh that have abnormal lipid values uh about Will will that we see? It's it's due to there's a about at least half of them have secondary causes or polygenic causes. After ruling out these secondary causes, about 10% of them again will have specific monogenic disorders. And we have a multi-panel targeted next-generation sequencing allows you to really um, identify precisely what you have, what the patient has, I should say. And we're the only lab that really does do both the genetics and the biochemistry. There are other labs that can do the genetics for you, but we're the only lab, I think, um, really on the planet that does both the biochemistry and the genetics. So we can diagnose all these disorders because we do GC mass spec. We do uh, measure all of the lipoproteins, all of the apolipoproteins. So, um, it's it's uh, we can really make help you make a definitive diagnosis. It took us a while to launch this test. We would have liked to have launched it some years ago. Um, let me have the next slide. So I guess uh, we we uh, we have some uh, other we have some providers here on the on the line. Now's the time you can unmute yourself and ask some questions if you have any. It's covering a huge amount of territory in a short time. All of the chapters in the metabolic basis of inherited disease in the lipid section, if you will. So. I guess we have Dr. Stein on the line. We have Dr. Dahl. Uh, we have other people. Do you guys have any questions?
1: Um, I just have a. This is Tara Dahl. I just had a question about: Am I able to order this without the the uh, reflexive components, like you said? If the LDL is over 190, you know, it could be a reflex. Can I just decide I want to order it because I might have a patient I'm treating, so those reflexes won't happen. Um, the LDL won't be over 190 um is there like a a price that's for all of these or how does how does that work logistically Yeah there is
0: there is one price but we 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 tend to we bill this to insurance okay. and you have to I mean let's say the patient has an LDL of 110 now but they're on a statin and a zetamib, and the LDL was over 190 in the past and you want to know what the defect is as long as you fill out a medical necessity form Indicating that in the past the patient had had these made these criteria, and this is important for family considerations. I mean, uh, Amit Kara had a very nice paper in Jack some years ago where he looked at uh, patients with premature coronary disease that had LDLs over 190, and only a fairly small percentage of them had defects. They only looked at three genes, they looked at um, LDL receptor, they looked at APL-B, and they looked at PCSK9 in that paper, but the people that had a monogenic lipid disorder had three times the risk of the people that did not have that, uh, and what I didn't mention, Tara, is that we also, uh, we have a new gene, pa- uh, we have a new polygenic risk score panel, but in this panel, Dr. Geller, or uh, Andrew Geller, we do We do look at the same variants to generate a polygenic score for these things as well, thanks to the work of Dr. Hegley. So we will be able to tell you if somebody has a high polygenic risk score for LDL, but does not have classical FH, and that's not an uncommon situation.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hi,
0: John, how are you? You have a question.
1: I, I do, Ernie. I'm, I apologize for getting in late. I was on my way home. Um, and you were just talking about type 3 when I got cut off. Yeah. Um, had you ever considered having some sort of um, uh, uh, um, evaluation of the data to suggest to practitioners who probably has a type 3? Because I'm imagining we're missing them all the time.
0: Uh, yeah, you're missing them all the time. We yeah. do put a ratio on our reports VLDL cholesterol to triglyceride ratio of over 0.3 is one of the hallmarks of dysbeta. beta. But uh, the other way to tell, and this is a simple way to tell if you're dealing with a type three, is if, the, if they have high cholesterol and the triglyceride is commensurate. Let's say their cholesterol is 300 and their triglycerides are 350. That tells you that it's not a VLDL particle and it's not an LDL particle; it's an intermediate particle, and those are the patients that usually will have dysbeta, and you know where where the where the the lipid abnormalities, if you will, are commensurate because the ratio of cholesterol to triglyceride on an intermediate or remnant particle is roughly the same, whereas on VLDL there's five times as much triglyceride, and on an LDL particle there's five times as much cholesterol. But in between those two, it's about one-to-one. One. So mm-hmm. that's a, a poor man's way to look at it, just looking at cholesterol and triglyceride. But we can we can do that. We, we've now just offered um, NMR, so we can, we can measure VLDL, IDL, LDL, cholesterol, and ApoB for you. And we can tell you exactly uh, what the particle elevation is. Um, but the critical issue, um, you know, if you really want to make the diagnosis, not all patients who ha- have this beta right. um, have a, a mutation, have R E two twos. Some of them actually have APLE mutations. We recently picked up one of those with Dr. Tedder, um, and, and we have to report it. His fellow, has, I have to put it together for for Dr. Tedder. Yeah.
1: So just looking at all the formulas, and Dr. Schneiderman always talks about how it's such an easy thing to do but I've not found an easy formula to go through. And I, when I'll do all the permutations as far as nanomoles per liter to milligrams per deciliter, at the end of the day, I get a headache and I'm doing kind of what you say. It's like, well, the trigs are high, the total cholesterol is high, they're probably not clearing the way they ought to. It's probably that, but I always thought it'd be interesting since you have such great data, um, you could be flagging these folks for us potentially.
0: Yeah, well, we you can do ApoE genotyping with us and you can measure lipids with us. And now you can do NMR with us, um, you know, not just NMR for LDL particle number and HDL particle number, but NMR, uh, we, we, we've just launched um, with with Brooker, we've just launched this whole platform called the LipoMap. If you haven't seen it, John, we'll be happy to send it to you. And that that will give you a definitive diagnosis of this beta. Because they'll have high levels of intermediate density lipoprotein, mm-hmm. IDL, yeah. Right. So I think, uh, I think we're done for this evening. Um, unless anybody else has any other questions, I want to thank all of you for attending. And I'm always uh, available to talk to people uh, by email or by cell phone about these conditions or if you order this testing how we can help you Uh, this is really designed for the um, unusual patients that you have in your practice unusual in terms of lipid disorders to help you define exactly what's going on with them so thank you all very much